right, good evening. For those of you who are here this morning, you know where we're going. You're going to the book of Obadiah. You should be able to find it a little bit easier than you did this morning. Book of Obadiah. We'll be looking this evening at verses 17 through 21. Much shorter passage than we looked at this morning. And really not quite as difficult, as sobering of a passage as what we looked at this morning. And I asked you a question this morning, and I'm going to ask the same question tonight. This will be fun. How many of you have heard a sermon from the book of Obadiah before? Yeah, some of you have heard one now. Uh, I got a much better response than this morning. Uh, All right, let's read, beginning in verse 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau. And they of the plain the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim. And the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let us begin with prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We ask that you would guide us into truth, help us to understand your word, and then to apply it to our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So we already set the stage for this this morning. So I want you to imagine that you are an Israelite who is living in Jerusalem. You are one of God's chosen people. But then one day, your worst enemies, the Babylonians, come and they destroy your city. They not only destroy the city, they destroy the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord. You are then forced to leave your beloved city, to leave the land of Israel and march the nearly 900 miles to Babylon. As you make that journey, you begin to wonder, has God forsaken his people? Has God forgotten his promises? Has God ceased? But then fast forward to the 21st century. You live in San Benito County, California. Perhaps you've just learned that a loved one has passed away. 
Perhaps you're facing financial difficulties. Perhaps there is fighting and contention in your family. Whatever difficulty you might be facing. Perhaps, just perhaps, you might be doubting God's faithfulness. Has God forsaken you? Has he forsaken me? Or is he still faithful? So this morning we looked at the first 16 verses in Obadiah. In those verses we saw God's promise that he will be just. And we see hints of that again in these verses, but we're not going to focus on that this evening. But we saw this morning, because the Edomites joined with the Babylonians in plundering Jerusalem, that the Lord promised his vengeance, his justice on the nation of Edom. God would be just. So then, this evening, we look at these last five verses. These verses... The Lord shifts from judgment to blessing. He shifts from the consequences of the wrongdoing of this nation of Edom to the blessings that he has for his people, Israel. And here is the big idea that I want for us to come away with this evening. In difficult times, we can rely faithfulness of our God. God will be faithful to his promises. So I want to ask you, are you this evening trusting in the promises of God? Are you confident, no matter what difficulties you might be facing, that God will be faithful? Or do you doubt So from these five verses, I'd like for us to consider two promises that we can rely on. First promise that we see is that we can be confident in God's promised deliverance of his people. The Lord will deliver his people. We already read them. Let's look again, verses 17 through 20. And you will notice there's a lot of place names in here. We're not going to spend a lot of time explaining where all of those are, but I'll I'll explain where a few of them are as we move through. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. So this would be Jerusalem. And there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob, again we're talking about the people of Israel, house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. That right there is a promise. Because they are off in Babylon. The very fact that they will possess their possessions, is a promise that they're going to return back to their land. And there in verse 17, it talks about deliverance. They are in captivity. They need rescue. They need deliverance. So really what the Lord is promising through the prophet Obadiah is that the Lord is going to to end this exile, and he is going to bring the people of Israel back. But, I believe the Lord has something greater in mind than simply a return from exile. Because as we read the next few verses, verse 18 
is again talking about the judgment on Edom. How the nation of Israel is involved in that judgment. But then when we cut down to verse 19 and 20, we see all these place names. Let's read these verses. And they of the south, this is literally the Negev, which is, is part of the modern state of Israel, the southern part of the nation. They of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau. So they would be possessing, let's see if I can get, could be for you, it should be over here. So they of the south, so this would be basically the southern third of the modern state of Israel, down to the, oh, I'm getting, I'm going off my notes here. Is it the Sea of Aqaba? Am I anywhere close in my geography? That, that region down there, the Negev, um, they're going to possess the land of Edom, which would be to their east. And then it goes on, it says, and they of the plain, the Philistines. So this would be a little bit further north. The plain would be it's literally the Shephelah. It's the rolling foothills between the coast. Uh, let me get my geography right here. Between the Mediterranean coast, which is where the Philistines are, and the Judean hill, hills, and then the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. So th- those in the middle, in the Shephelah, those foothills, they will possess the land where the Philistines are, that coastal region. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. So now we're moving further north, fields of Ephraim, and then he says the fields of Samaria, overlapping areas there in central Israel. Then he says, Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Now, I'm not entirely sure the significance here. Obviously, it's a promise. But Benjamin is the smallest tribe. And he's saying that Benjamin will get this possession over on the other side. Over here. Over on the other side of the Jordan. If you've never spoken and tried to reverse your geography, you don't understand what I'm doing here. (laughs) Uh, But those in the smallest tribe are going to possess this land over on the other side of the Jordan River, the land of Gilead. Then he says, and the captivity of this host, so in other words, these people who are in exile, the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites. So they're going to possess the land of the Canaanites, which Canaan is really that whole region. But he says, even unto Zarephath. Zarephath. Let me, I think I wrote this down, so let me make sure that I... Zarephath, yes. Zarephath is in modern-day Lebanon, so we'd be even further north at this point. And then he says, and the, and the captivity of Jerusalem, so this would be the captives from Jerusalem, most likely, which is in Sepharad, so we're talking a Babylonian city now, shall possess the cities of the south, which again would be the Negev. So he's just talking about this entire region and the different places that they're going to possess. But the important part here isn't so much all the the locations, though that is important. But it's, it's really that God is making a very specific 
promises. They're going to possess this. They're going to possess that. And at this point, since Obadiah was written, Israel has not possessed that land. Not all of that land. So, some of this prophecy has to still be future. It has to still be in the future that Israel is going to possess this land. So, while it is a great promise that the Lord will deliver his people, I want you to notice something else from this passage. And really, not just from this passage, but we're going to look at some other passages. And that is that the Lord's promised deliverance of his people, bringing his people back, giving them this land, is itself a witness to his faithfulness. What do I mean by that? By the way, I forgot to move this slide. We should have, we can be confident in God's promised deliverance of his people. The Lord's promised deliverance of his people is itself a witness to his faithfulness. What I mean by that is that years before this, God had made the same promise. And it is at this point when Remember why Israel is going, or Judah in this case, why Judah is going into captivity. They're going into captivity because of their sin. Because they've rebelled against the Lord. And it's at this point that the Lord chooses to give them this promise again. So it's, it's really a witness to the fact that God is still faithful. Back in the book of Genesis, we have time this evening, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. This is when this promise is first made. This is more than a thousand years earlier. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. This says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now this is even broader area. So we've got from the river of Egypt, maybe the Nile River, maybe another river, from the river of Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates. Now there's only one time in Israel's history that they actually possessed that land. That was during the reign of King Solomon. Maybe I should say they had control over that land. That might be more correct. But that is what the Lord had promised to Abraham, to his descendants. Repeated again in Joshua chapter 1, verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, which would be the Mediterranean Sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. And then I mentioned Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21 says, Solomon reigned over all kingdoms, from the river unto the land of the Philistines, and unto the border of Egypt. A few verses later, for he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsa even to Aza, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. 
So Solomon's the only one who ever had to rule over that area. But the Lord promises this to his people Israel, not just as a one-time, during one king's rule, but this is something that is their possession in the future. So when the Lord promises that Israel's borders will expand, and really, at this point, they're in captivity, so they don't really have any borders, the fact that they're going to have this land given to them, he is really just promising that he's going to keep his promises. Obadiah delivers this message from the Lord more than a thousand years after the Lord first gave his promise to Abraham. And Israel's still waiting for this full inheritance. I believe it's only in the millennial kingdom they will receive this entire area of land. But God has not forsaken his people. Turn over with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We'll read just a few verses in this chapter. We'll start with verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 11, beginning of verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite. This is Paul speaking. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Then if we skip down to verses 25 and 26. He says, For I would not, brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. The blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And one last verse here in this chapter, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In other words, when God promises something, he doesn't turn away from his promise. He's faithful. What God promises, he will perform. He is faithful. We can be confident in God's promised deliverance of his people. Now, we are not the people of Israel. So, It's good to think about the fact that God will keep his promises to the people of Israel. But what application does that have to us today? Well, simply this. If God was not faithful to the people of Israel and to the promises that he made to them, then we have no reason to trust him for the promises that he's made to us. But there is a little bit more to it we do get to have a part in that future inheritance. And I believe that that actually includes land. Now, not necessarily land in the nation of Israel, unless maybe if you're a Jewish person here, we have some Jewish heritage. 
But we do have an inheritance to look forward to. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have an inheritance reserved for us. Christ will return for us in the clouds, take us away to heaven. Then after that seven-year tribulation, we will return with him, reign with him for a thousand years. Then we'll enter into that eternal state, the new heavens, the new earth, where there is no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. We can be confident The Lord not only has promised that future for us, but we can be confident that he will bring it to pass. We can be be confident in his faithfulness. Like I mentioned this morning, this is a sermon that I prepared almost a year ago for a class that I was taking. So I I have an illustration in here, and I'm going to just read it for you. Perhaps you remember reading in a history class about General Douglas MacArthur, one of our nation's most well-known generals in both World War II and the Korean War. General MacArthur helped to build up the armed forces in the Philippines in the years leading up to World War II. When the Japanese attacked, and he was forced by President Franklin D. Roosevelt to depart from the islands, MacArthur made his now-famous statement, I shall return. While MacArthur was away, the Japanese seized control of the Philippines and forced the 70,000 American and Filipino troops stationed there on the most infamous death march of of the war. Filipino people had every reason to lose hope that MacArthur would return. But MacArthur kept his promise. Two and a half years later, he returned to the Philippines. Within six months, he had driven back the Japanese. General MacArthur was a man who kept his promise. If a man can keep a promise like that, how much more likely is it that our God will be faithful his promises. But perhaps today you're overwhelmed with some difficulty. Maybe it's something at work, something at home, something with your friends, something with your family. May I remind you that God is faithful to his promises. We as believers in Jesus Christ look forward to the return of of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to being delivered from this sin-cursed world with all of its difficulties. We can be confident in God's promised deliverance of his people. So that's the first promise that we can rely on. Notice with me a second promise. That is, we can be confident 
in God's promised dominion over all people. For this we'll look, turn back to the book of Obadiah. We'll look at this final verse, verse 21. We'll see that the Lord promises he will reign on this earth. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Those last seven words in the verse, those those are precious. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. There's some people that like to say that a constitutional republic is the best form of government. I disagree. I would say a benevolent, theocratic dictatorship is the best kind of government. Where God is on the throne. I threw the word benevolent in there. Any government with God on the throne is going to be benevolent. And dictatorship might have some bad connotations with it, but he does get to say what, what we do and what we don't do. So I guess you can call that a dictatorship, but it's benevolent. All right, so we see in verse 21 that the Lord will reign over all people. He mentions there that saviors or deliverers will come up to Mount Zion or to Jerusalem to judge the Mount of Esau. In other words, those in Jerusalem will rule over Edom. But it's no no mere human who will be king in Israel. It's the Lord himself. Notice it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is our God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I Am. He will be king. The word translated here as kingdom doesn't indicate a nation, but it indicates a royal position. The Lord will be king over Israel. This kingdom won't be limited to Israel. Other passages, especially in the Old Testament, teach us that the Lord will establish an everlasting kingdom that will rule over the entire world. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Then Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In Zechariah 14, verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not only will the Lord reign over all people, but again I want you to see, this is the point I'm trying to drive home, the Lord's promised dominion is a witness to his faithfulness, because he had promised this before. So in Obadiah, verse 21, we're simply told that the Lord, Yahweh, will reign over Israel. However, 
as we look at Obadiah, especially through the lens of later revelation, what God has told us later in his word, we understand better who this Lord is. Obviously, it's Yahweh. But in Daniel chapter 7, we see him spoken of as the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, I love this passage. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. We find out even more in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verse, verses 30 through 33. I'm sure you've heard this at Christmas. The angel said unto her, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So notice here that it's Jesus Christ who inherits the throne of David. Now, up to this point, we've been talking about the Lord ruling. We haven't been talking about the throne of David. But these, are, these really are two pro- different promises in the Old Testament that come together in Jesus Christ. That the Lord will reign and the, that, the, that David will be given this eternal dynasty, if you will. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16... The Lord promised David. He made a covenant with him. He said, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So, Jesus Christ, he's both a royal descendant of King David. So he can be one of David's royal line to sit on that throne. But he is also Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He is the Lord who can also fulfill these promises such as here in Obadiah. So when Obadiah records that the Lord will reign over Israel, he is, in fact, reaffirming this promise that was made to David almost 500 years earlier. Now, I do recognize that we can see this. The people in Obadiah's day wouldn't have seen this connection so clearly because they wouldn't know that Jesus Christ was going to both be royal descendant of David and the Lord. But they would still be able to see that God was going to be faithful to his promise because God had promised this specific promise in the past about the Lord ruling over Israel and over the world. Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, 
and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. So the Lord's promised dominion is a witness to his faithfulness. God will keep his promises. He will be faithful. We can sometimes lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth. We get upset by what's going on in our government. What's going on in our society. Like we talked about this morning, we want to bring justice ourselves. We're consumed by what's going on. And sometimes we do forget that we're on the winning side. That Jesus Christ is going to rule on this earth. We may have to suffer a little in the meantime, but God is faithful. Jesus Christ will come, and he will rule. So let us, instead of focusing on the news and the politics, as much as we need to stay informed, let's focus on the fact that our king Our king is coming. So from these five verses in Obadiah, we've seen that we must rely on the faithfulness of our God. We can be confident both in God's promised deliverance of his people and in his promised dominion over all people. I challenge you this evening, meditate on our God's faithfulness. What has God promised us as New Testament believers. Yes, we're not the nation of Israel, but God has given us so many wonderful promises. Do you believe that he's going to keep them? Well, the book of Obadiah teaches us that God is faithful to his promises. So my desire this evening is simply to encourage you that you can trust in the Lord. He is faithful. Our God is faithful. Let's close in prayer.